Rats animation celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons and flexing. Uh. Yellow, blue, red, blue, purple, too. Blue, purple, and green, then the yellow. I'm one of the podcast hosters, Micah. I'm Matsy, and I'm I'm wondering if you remember that or if you looked it up. I had to look it up. All right. That's the shh, that's the secret code from Darkwing Duck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm Matsy. Um, this is Animation Celery, and we're going to talk about cartoons and uh, recap them and discuss them. And uh, our theme this time is Troublemakers. Um, apparently, I played the role of Troublemaker in giving Micah Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. Hmm. Uh, well, Micah was slightly more benign in giving me Speed Racer. Really? <laughs> slightly well, we'll more see. benign. We'll see. <laughs> um, first off, I don't know. What else we got? What do you what, what what should we talk about, Micah? Well, I started Steven Universe Future. Oh, right. Yes. I actually watched a little bit of that in preparation for you discussing it. Mm hmm. So go ahead. Remember, I was I was saying that uh, a lot of the fandom hates episodes that have to do with Beach City. <laughs> and you kind of laughed about, you know, that occasionally there'll be an onion episode. Well, it took six half episodes to get to the onion episode. <laughs> oh, you watched a lot. Just just those six half episodes. Okay. Uh, so that's just three episodes. Not too bad. Not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you so think? I, I think it's more Steven Universe, and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I was glad to see Jasper again. Mm-hmm. Jasper just kind of sort of disappears toward the end of the series. Well, so. yeah. Jasper... Um. Do you want to explain who Jasper is? Uh, Jasper is a courts enforcer for Homeworld. Mm, um, mm. And she also is a uh, metaphor for sexual assault, kind of. A little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, she also, I think, is probably part of one of the most famous con uh, f- famous fights in Steven Universe. Garnet singing as she takes on Jasper for the rematch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah that's yeah. probably one of the most famous. Yeah. It's well, I mean, I don't I don't know what the fandom of Steven Universe thinks, but I mean, it's a it's a pretty cool moment. We're like, what? Garnet's a fusion. Mm. And then um, well, that too. Yeah. And the uh, the movie calls back to it too. her fight mm. against. Uh, oh, what's her face? Spinel. Spinel. Yeah, yeah. It calls back to it. Huh. It's very similar. Anyway, um, Jasper, though. I yeah. like Jasper. Yeah. I, don't, I was thinking, like, why do I like her so much? Because she's got a weird nose, for one. She does, um, yeah. But I think she's just cool, and I like her aggressiveness. Mm. also like her husky build and voice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think also I just really like her marmalade coloration, which actually gets some more bands to it as she becomes corrupted. Yeah. In so. this in this show, she kind of like in a lot of shows where there's a redemption and like, oh, the conflict is over. Yeah. Sometimes there'll be this one character is like, well, it's not over for me. Uh, like um, what was her name in Star vs. the Force of Evil? The um, the soldier hero that Star looked up to was oh. vo- voiced by the same lady that did Princess Caroline and Bojack Horseman. Oh, 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 um, 
and anyway, and goofy name. Yeah. And when it's over, she's like still a racist, even though the yes, world's are, unrepentant. Yeah. So that's the role that Jasper kind of fills there here. It was like, well, the, the war between Earth gems and other gems is over, but there's still one holdout. Hmm. Anyway, carry on. Uh, let's see. Um, kind of going in order here. Uh, little Lorimar is hmm. kind of neat. Yeah. Um, she I mean, the kind of character. For- yes. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, wants to hear the screams of, uh, people more. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of looks like a second string Digimon, which isn't, <laughs> r- isn't really an insult. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um... I saw the reef that you've mentioned a couple times. Oh, you got to the volleyball episode. Yes, yes, yes. That's one of my favorites, and I don't really know why. I think well, it's just seeing like, that gem, seeing that yeah. cracked pearl. Yep. It's also um, really cool. Like the fusion of the two pure pearls is pretty awesome, too. Hmm. I like super pearl. Yeah, it's all right. By the way, Mina Loveberry is the character. Ah, right. Yeah. The, the Sailor Moon looking character. Yeah. Um, let's see. Got the return of Aquamarine, which I had really been wondering about during the first <laughs> series. And uh, well, as as Bluebird Azurite. But yeah. I kind of wonder, is, is Aquamarine depowered now? Because that was one of the weird um, tonal things for the series. That se- it seems strange to me that the diamonds seemed much less powerful than Aquamarine. Hmm. Remember? Like, Aquamarine, as I recall, one-shotted Alexandrite. Well, I mean, I, I I, don't know. Maybe that's what the character is. Like, maybe it's the specialist that they call in when it's like... Because, you know, the gems... Yeah. The gems have kind of a programming, right? It's like, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe Aquamarine is more powerful than the diamonds, than the diamonds, rather. But she's also instinctively subservient to the diamonds. So it's not maybe. a problem. Maybe um, she's like Darth Vader, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Um, but but uh, Blue Azerite seemed kind of depowered. And you'd mm. think that would be a boost having a ruby inside her as well. Anyway, you're going to ask. I don't know. No, no. No, that's... It's, no, I was actually going to ask if... Because I, I couldn't immediately remember if uh, Aquamarine shows up before or only in the episode where she fuses with Ruby or a Ruby Navy. Just I think, that episode, the yeah, Navy. Yeah. So yeah. So you did see that episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of threw me for a loop when Steven instinctively knew that it was a fusion. Cause it goes by real quick that he re- <laughs> realized that it was Aquamarine and eyeball the, uh, oh, it's eyeball. the gem. In the, hmm? I said Navy earlier. I, I got the wrong no, Ruby. Yeah the, yeah. the one with the uh, gem for an eyeball. Yeah, yeah. 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 Boy, we're going over a lot of people's heads here. Are we? <laughs> well, I mean, if they haven't People seen Stephen, you seen... uh, there's a ruby named Eyeball. I thought it was right. Navy. Like, yeah, that means. I guess nothing. I'll explain it. This this will make okay. you want to watch Steven Universe. That, uh, the the gems. You might probably people know that mostly. The, the the characters are gems that like grow bodies around their gemstones. Yeah. Um, and apparently the style of gem doesn't have the gemstone in the same place. So there was like a squad of these ruby enforcers. That all had the rubies in different places, and so for shorthand, they're nicknamed based on where the ruby is. Yes. Um, that was such a, you know, 
probably my favorite episode. You might <laughs> one of my oh, favorite the, episodes. The baseball the, one. The, the baseball one. Of course. You know, like but you know, like best of that is the different personas of <laughs> the gems. Yeah. I like that Pearl was Earl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, really yeah. cool. I also like I was actually thinking about that one recently for some reason. Mm-hmm. Because I just loved like when when they come back and they're like, We're gonna play baseball. And Sapphire, who is a gem who has the ability to see the future, or various mm. futures, in fact, just mm. responds like, I saw that this was a possibility, but I'm still surprised this is the path we're taking. Like, <laughs> I just love that. That's so good. Because yeah, well, her- so much of it is like, you know, all this stuff, Garnet slash Sapphire should have seen this coming. And so it's nice when she acknowledges yeah. like, I did, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, all her future sight didn't make her any good at the plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was too in love with Ruby. Yeah, and uh, actually, I also like the uh, later episode where it's Steven stuck with Eyeball in outer space. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it now, I do think he acknowledges it in an episode where he he wonders if Eyeball is just stuck floating in the void forever. So <laughs> I guess good to know that that Ruby made it back <laughs> <laughs> yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but anyway, that's that's how far I'm in with Steven Universe Future. Uh, oh, cool. I like it. It's good. Yeah. Like I said, it's still just more of the same, really. It's more it, it's it's more devoted to Steven's psyche than fighting villains. I you know? guess. Or, kinda, kinda but it's also building... it's that, but it's also like kind of a greatest hits of like, hey, what happened to Amethyst? Turns out she's a guidance counselor now. Hey, what happened to Pearl? Oh, she's jealous of this other Pearl. And then it's going to be like, oh, here's what's happened to Bismuth and yeah. here's what's happened to Lapis and all that stuff. I kind of can't believe that Lars opened a uh, competing pastry shop. <laughs> I thought that he would forever be some sort of uh, outlaw space pirate. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, you wanted to see a show about him, as I recall. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I, and, I remember uh, you mentioning that on one episode. Although now that I think about it, Steven goes to Big Donut because it's right next door. I imagine he goes to Lars's place often because all he has to do is come out of his hair. I guess that's true. Yeah. More, more deep Steven Universe stuff that nobody gets, but whatever. Just go with it. <laughs> Steven, Steven can come out of Lars's hair. Just trust me. That's right. There's a lion uh, involved. So, yeah. yeah. You, the listener, are, are effectively our parents now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he goes into the line and he comes out this guy's hair. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I got more stuff that's impossible to parse. Okay. Um, so I moved on to the Emerald City of Oz novel. Okay. So in this one, the Gnome King wants revenge mm. on on Ozma and Dorothy and just Oz in general. So his uh, forces are tunneling all the way to emerge in the Emerald City and then just ransack the whole kingdom. Mm. Um, His general, uh, knowing that Oz is full of sorcerers and eggs, which are poisoned to gnomes, um, recruits some other monster. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. He recruits some other monster folk for the invasion. So uh, the most amusing of them to me are the whimsies. They are uh, giants who are self-conscious about their undersized heads. <laughs> and because of that, they wear prosthetic big heads on their real heads. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. 
while all that's going on, the gnomes are tunneling. Um, Dorothy gives a tour of Oz to Uncle Hungry and Aunt Em. Oh, they get to go there? Well, you see, the story starts out. It turns out that having their house lifted away by a twister was bad news. That he had to take out a mortgage to build a new house. Yeah. And the farm just hasn't done very well. So they're going to get tossed out. And so Dorothy, they, they, they asked Dorothy, like, why don't you go live in that fairy realm that you sometimes visit? That'll probably be best for you, right? And then yeah. she figures, you know what? I'm officially a princess of Oz. I'm going to go ask Ozma if my if my uncle and aunt can come live there. <laughs> and she agrees. And then, well, I'm going to go prepare them. And she's like, no. That'll, <laughs> they, they, they'll, they'll think, they'll have to think about the hard journey. So let's just surprise them. <laughs> so, yeah, all of a sudden so, they're just teleported into this main chamber that's got like a uh, a little girl in an emerald throne flanked by a lion and a tiger. So in my mind, I'm thinking of this darker path where like Dorothy just comes in with a pipe. It's like, what are you doing, Dorothy? It's like, I'm going to take you to Oz. And then starts oh, swinging shit. at their heads. <laughs> <laughs> in, in your head trauma, Oz. Can. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems that way to them. I mean, it's yeah. a hard adjustment for them because uh, at first they live in the palace and they're not used to uh, fine living or having yeah. nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and actually, Aunt Em's just kind of a pill for a lot of this book. Oh. Uh, anyway, they uh, so they're, they're going on a tour. They have a little wagon trip, and they're just visiting different communities. Uh, and among them, they visit uh, Miss Cut and Clip. Hey! Um, yeah. But as it turns out, in the original storyline, a flesh and blood girl, which I don't think I like as much. Aw, yeah. Um. I mean, she's still special and ageless and whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and she also meets the Fuddles, the puzzle people who break yeah. apart. Right, right, right. Except I've seen them twice in animation now, and they're always like flat two-dimensional puzzles. Hmm. But uh, they're described, they're actually, they look like regular people who then break apart into several pieces. And Dorothy even comments about how this is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, except that they're flat and these people... You know, aren't so it somehow right. kind of comes off as a little creepier to me if there's like a rounded section with an ear on it that you're, you know, putting into things. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm just thinking about it now, like you've mentioned the, those two, Cut and Clip and Fuddles. And yeah. when you mentioned the Gnome King tunneling, yeah. I thought that was something at the beginning of that one episode that I saw that didn't go anywhere. Right. So they, and, yeah, yeah, they fit into the timeline. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's, Except they didn't go through the whole thing of, you know, them going on a wagon trip down through uh, the south of Oz. Right, right. Um, anyway, anyway, so I've also mentioned that uh, L. Frank Baum really didn't want to make these Oz books, right? Yeah. He was kind of trapped by the fame of them. Yeah. So the last chapter of this book is called uh, How the Story of Oz Ended. Oh, great. Yes. And it ends with Glinda casting a spell so that uh, Oz is invisible to all non-Ozians, hmm. so that no outsider will ever find the kingdom again. Huh, okay. Um, and furthermore, the writer, which would be Baum, I guess, uh, is like portrayed himself as a chronicler that just relays all the things that Dorothy tells him. Mm -hmm. he, he gets a final message written on a swan feather that was like, thanks for everything, uh, but Oz is invisible now, so this is the last you'll ever hear from me. So, <laughs> now, of course, 
he made five other Oz books after this, but yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I can imagine like his editor finished reading uh, this book and thought, you know, that was excellent. So when's the next one coming out? <laughs> yeah. And this guy, the last two ones were released after his death. So he was just imprisoned writing Oz forever. <laughs> um, I remember thinking that like, um, the fifth hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy book, which is called mostly harmless. Yeah. Uh, it was the last one that, uh, Douglas Adams wrote. Uh, there was a sixth book, uh, which is called And Another Thing, which was not written by Douglas Adams. It was after he died. It was written mm. by, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, Eon Koifer or something. Mm. Um, but I remember seeing that this was going to happen, and I was like, the, that fifth book ended with every dimensional version of Earth being spun, being simultaneously destroyed with all the main characters on it. How yeah, do you yeah, okay. how how do you do another book? And then I remember reading the begin like the first like bit chapter or whatever the start of the sixth book, and going, oh, of course that's how you do it. That makes perfect, obviously. And I felt really like I felt more foolish for not figuring it out beforehand than I did angry that they were making another book because mm. it was like. Oh, right. That's how you get out of that jam. Of course. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, uh, mm, you know, okay. improbability in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right, uh, right. Uh, uh, I uh, think I know. I think I know. Yeah, yeah. Even being a person who hasn't read them, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of, of <laughs> posthumous releases, we link this back to the first episode where you voiced your worry about The Simpsons. It got renewed for two seasons. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. They are uh, playing a game of chicken with their stars. They really are. Boy. That, yep. that Harry Shearer better stay in real good health. Yeah, he's not one of the family members, but probably as as integral as anybody to the sure. show. Sure, yeah. There are certain voice actors who are very important, which I will discuss later. All right. Um, well, I think that's what I got. What do you got, Matsy? Uh, they fired Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so I, <laughs> when Twitter rearranged itself so that third-party apps couldn't use it anymore, and I was stuck looking at Twitter's feed, what? one of the first things that I saw was people talking about Justin Roiland being arrested for domestic assault. Which is, and imprisonment, too? Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and obviously, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but at the same time, sure. dang, dude, if that's true. But also, and the what I liked about that was the number of tweets, because I've always felt kind of alone in uh, being unenthusiastic about Rick and Morty. Yeah, you did it before it was cool. It's so popular, and I was like, am I the only one who sees the... I mean, it's an okay show, but am I the only one who sees the holes? But I mm. loved... I found out about this news because of tweets of people like um, typing out their imitations of what Justin Roiland would be saying as he's getting put into a police car. Like, yeah. oh, you, you, you guys get, oh, you're going to put me in jail, huh? You, you, you <laughs> put me in bad guy jail for bad guys. Y yeah, yeah. And what my favorite was somebody tweeted like, why are all the pickle Rick bongs discounted? And then uh. a little while later, just a follow up tweet. Oh, 
Uh, that was great. But you so, know, with your hmm? with your dissatisfaction of Twitter, maybe this is your time to move to TikTok. I bet there's a lot of impressions on there of this. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, I have to say, I you know, since they did change Twitter, I saw at least two things that were of interest to me that I wouldn't have seen anywhere else. Um, oh man, yeah. But anyway, okay. but, we'll get to that at the end, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, j- um, so now they haven't canceled Rick and Morty. They're just going to no. recast Rick and Morty. And yes. <laughs> I am thinking this can only be good news because because that was the part that you disliked. That was the part I disliked. Like Justin yeah. Roiland is a talented voice actor, but he's a very bad voice director. And hmm. if they can get people to do the voices of Rick and Morty and talk like everybody else in the show without stammering and stuttering everything, that's only hmm. a positive. So I am in favor of this. I'm especially in favor of if Justin uh, Roiland is uh, the person they think he is, because I am on record with Whoa. my opinion of kicking women. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he was the co-creator of the show. He's Rick and Morty. How can he do this? Well, I mean, if he's a terrible person and he's like the weakest part of the show, then I think this is a plus. <laughs> Reminds me of a cartoon called Samurai Champloo that noted that uh, <laughs> in one episode, the uh, contradiction that the most talented people are often uh, the least of character. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Well. But but anyway. Uh. What else? I got. I'm not gonna talk about it a lot. But I got the uh, role playing, the tabletop role playing game system for uh, the Avatar verse, which is to say, yes. Avatar: The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra and its various novels and comics. Mm-hmm. Um. It's an interesting system that's really based on character growth, and it doesn't really seem to have a fail state. Um. Yeah, we were discussing this. Yeah. And the reason that I bring it up, because I'm not going to go into detail on the mechanics, but I do think it's interesting. But Mm. I wanted to ask, Micah, who would you be in an Avatar universe? You can you can be if you were going to make a character for this game, you can be an earthbender, a firebender, a waterbender, maybe an airbender, depending on the era. Or you can specialize in weapons or technology. So you can be Sokka or... Uh, somebody who uses technology. I thought that guy, the, uh, I don't think he's ever named in the show, but Amon's underling. I thought he was pretty cool as a weapon master. There's, um, there's somebody apparently who's taken over one of the air temples named the mechanist. I don't mm-hmm. remember him immediately, but he was in the last airbender. So I saw him. I just don't remember him. Is that the guy with the, um, that invented the hot air balloon? Maybe. I don't remember. I so. It's been a while. I, I love that cartoon, but it's been a while since I've seen it. Right. Uh, so what would I be? Um, part of me wants to think that there's an interesting firebender to play. Hmm. Because I think they haven't done that much with firebending in the show. It's weird to say, since a lot of central characters are firebenders. Yeah. But I kind of feel like... like Earth has gotten a lot of interesting stuff, and water sure as heck has got a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe air is the one that's been kind of shortchanged just because there haven't been a lot of airbenders. In fact, there's been, yeah. like, three. Actually, I guess well, five. I guess there's five. By the time of Korra, there's a whole squad of them, but... Uh, yeah, true. Um, 
really hard to say. Like, <laughs> I'd probably want to look at the mechanics and let that blossom, you know, mm, find mm. what feels like an interesting thing to play. And then that's what I often do. And people say is the wrong way to go. I, I try to make something effective and then I build the lore around it. Right. But I find that that really works for me. Um, mm. Especially, you know, as opposed to people who make seem to go out of their way to make things that are ineffective, you yeah. know, just to be different. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like to find the explanation behind. Sort of like um, the the mechanics of this game sort of are a parallel to uh, games I want to try where you fail forward, but the GM mostly can uh, creatively present how you fail forward. You know, like, yeah. oh, you, you managed to climb up there, but you lost your boot going up, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And... I kind of feel like uh, things you described to me from the era, from the uh, Avatar game that there's a lot of interpretation like that, you know, like I, I accepted this condition. So this is what happened to my storyline, you know? Yeah. Or this is this is why I shifted my balance. And then you <laughs> like that kind of creative stuff really appeals to me. So I think the game sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I would love to try to play it. Um, me, I would probably be the GM since I own the books. Um, but if I was making my own character, I think I would want to be an airbender um, yeah. because I like when I was reading the book, I was something that I didn't really notice in the show. Mm -hmm. um, they're saying like, oh, waterbenders will often carry around a water skin full of water. So they always have something to bend. I'm like, yeah, OK, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I think Katara does that. Um, and I started to think about props that you could have to help your bending. And mm -hmm. I I like the idea of an Can't airbender. Think. What's that? A canteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I like the idea of an airbender who has like a couple of hollow like bamboo tubes that he spins around to make a whistling and he could use that air because uh, airbenders, apparently they wear these like loose robes so that they can have like flowing wind around them at all times. Just mm -hmm. like moving their arms, it creates a breeze if they have more resistance like sails. Um, and I thought so you were going to say the stick with the glider. <laughs> so you'd be like playing well, with a, like an umbrella, taking your players next to you. Yeah, I, I could do that. But I, I like this, like just getting into battle, assuming a martial arts stance and starting to twirl these tubes in my hands to make this ominous whistling. Um, I also really like there's one episode of the show and I can't remember exactly what happened, but for some reason early on, they're flying on their sky bison, Appa. And mm. for some frivolous reason ang decides that he has to do something he's like i'll do it and then he just like falls off of appa mm -hmm. and i'm watching it it's like yeah that makes sense you know you're an airbender you have absolutely no fear of heights because they can't hurt you but that's also a lot of fun like just the idea of like just oh this is this is nothing i'll just jump off this high thing um i saw a bird do that once and it got me really thinking like it was on top of a telephone pole and it just fell straight down like an arrow, like folded its wings up and everything. And then once it got like halfway down, it just opened its wings and flew to another tree. And I'm thinking like, yeah, birds just instinctively have no fear of heights because it can't hurt them. They're just, yeah, I'll fall off this thing and just fly. And I think that's cool. I would like to do that as an airbender. On role-playing things, I was thinking about that for uh, underwater creatures. Mm. The mysteries of being on the surface, falling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be pretty scary yeah um uh let me see the mm, should i go into this yeah i guess real quickly um 
I went into a weird rabbit hole over the last two weeks. I just mm-hmm. saw it was one of those things where I saw one clip on YouTube and it just I just kept going. I watched a series of Ralph Bakshi movies. Whoa. Now, okay. I've seen them all before, mm-hmm. but I just felt like watching them again. Uh, okay. And I kind of watched them in reverse chronological order, weirdly. I probably haven't watched most of these. Hmm. Okay, well, let me go over them real quick. Uh, yeah. The first one is from the 80s. It's called uh, Hey Good Lookin'. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's set in 50s New York, and it's about this gang leader named Vinny and his, his buddy, Crazy Shapiro. And they are the mm-hmm. leader of the Stompers. You know, it's a 50s gang with leather jackets and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and snapping. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, and the story involves, uh, Vinny, he's trying to get with this girl named Rosie. And in doing so, he runs afoul of the black gang, the black chaplains. And he has to rally his gang, the stompers into a rumble with the, uh, the chaplains. Cause otherwise he's going to have to fight them by himself and it all falls apart. Everything goes crazy. Well, I mean, Hmm. there's a character named crazy, so I should be careful with my use of that, but yeah. Um, it's not very good. It's all right. It's just there. I mean, you can watch it. The, the (laughs) character designs are kind of ugly in my opinion. Um, I feel like, I feel like you've applied this template. Like you can apply this to all these movies. It's not very good. Character (laughs) designs are kind of ugly. Well, um, (laughs) <laughs> I do. I did. I actually had the thought as I was watching it. It's like, boy, these incidental background stompers, they sure look yeah. like the pirates from Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. Oh, yeah. Uh, just with greaser hair instead of mohawks. Also, apparently stomper number one is voiced by Danny Wells, who is the uh, actor who played Luigi in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. So that's neat. Well, uh, yeah, a plus, I would say. Yeah. That was that was the biggest thrill I got out of it. it was like, ah, Danny Wells name mm. in the credits. <laughs> mm. Next, I watched Heavy Traffic. Heavy Traffic is the I believe the second ever X-rated animated film. Hmm. And this involves it's set in New York in I guess the present day, which would be 1973. And All right. it follows this guy, he's a 20 something kid named get this Michael Corleone mm. and uh he has a boy he has a lady friend a black lady named Carol and it's basically just he's he has no direction in life he's an underground cartoonist uh who isn't really doing much and he and Carol end up kind of with no place to go and nothing to do and so they're just trying to make their way as best they can while in the background there's drama involving Michael's uh, Italian father, Angelo Corleone, and his uh, Jewish mother, Ida, and some other characters. Um, it, it's, you know, it's kind of this weird, dreamy, directionless, trying to find their way in 70s New York thing. Um, right. It's, it's not a great movie, but I think it's the best of the Ralph Bakshi movies I've seen. Okay. I, I actually like it quite a bit. It's pretty entertaining. I mean, like I said, don't expect it to be good, but you will be entertained. Mm. And it actually has some really nice character designs. 
I think that's okay. the best part of it. I really like looking at all the ca- I mean, Michael is just kind of plain, but all the other characters are like Ida, his mother. I love the way she looks. She's so cool. She's kind of like she's a little bit like the babysitter bandit from the early Simpsons. Yeah. Um, Carol, the first episode. Uh, not quite the first, but first season, definitely. The first it was the first one they made. They were forced to air a different order. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Carol is pretty cool. There's actually a lot of live action spliced into it, and in the end, you get you, in the end you get to see a live action version of Carol, and she looks a lot like her actor, but she's also cool. Like I like her face. Um. There's with Ralph Bakshi, you have to kind of hold your nose a little bit because he just can't <laughs> he just can't draw breasts without having the nipples poking through the fabric. Like he's physically incapable of doing it. Um, so you have to. Well, why? Why wouldn't you? You have a pencil. You have the power. Yeah, but also, why would you? Just, yeah. Like it loses its impact when it's every time. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. So anyway, that movie is entertaining if you want to watch it. Just don't ex- don't expect much for much from it. Just kind of go along for the ride. Then I figured, hey, I'm on this Ralph Bakshi kick. Let me watch one that I haven't seen before. Let me watch Fire and Ice. Woo. Uh, I got maybe 20 minutes into that and then realized it was not going to go anywhere and turned it off. Fire, hmm. Fire and Ice is <laughs> it's this fantasy story with this ice kingdom that is trying to conquer the world. And uh, the last line of defense is the fire kingdom. So it's avatar. Mm. Um, yeah, but much worse. Like I, I was immediately <laughs> like during the narration of the beginning is like, Oh, the ice queen's son named Necrod. And I'm like, Oh, jeez, Oh, jeez, Rick. Oh, you, you, you going to be named Necrod. <laughs> um, but also, <laughs> Like it's got yeah. it's got your fire princess who gets kidnapped and is barely wearing anything. There's some hero who, if he has a right. name, I didn't get far enough to hear it. He's just, you know, going through this jungle trying to avoid guys. But also, you remember what I said about character designs? You said mm-hmm. I said they're pretty ugly in Hey Good Looking and they're pretty good yeah. in uh, uh, the other one, Heavy Traffic. Yeah. Well, this one is rotoscoped. So yeah. they're oh, just God. they're just bland. <laughs> like there's not there isn't right. even really character design to them. It's just drawn over people. So it's yeah. just, it's so bland. The story is so trite. Like as I, I I couldn't get into it. I was like there this little to offer. This movie is not going to be anything, so I'm not going to bother. And I turned it off and just rewatched Fritz the Cat for completion's sake. Not mm. not entirely complete. I think there's another movie called Coonskin that I didn't see, but yeah, Fritz the Cat is famous for being the first X-rated animated film. Mm. It's one of those things where if you're a fan of cartoons, you should probably watch it just, you know, to complete your collection. Um, right. And again, it's not great, but it's it is something to see. It's just this uh, <laughs> it's it's in a funny animal world. And it's this cat mm. who's a young, you know, he's a college student who's in the 60s New York. Notice the theme here. 70s New York, right. 60s New York, 50s New York. Um, and he's just doing the things that young people in the 60s did, which is smoke lots of pot and have lots of sex. Uh, and uh, go wild with ideologies, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to change the world or he's he's an idiot, but he thinks that he's like meaningful. 
Like, right. there's a part where he starts a race riot, where he gets all the black people in Harlem rebelling against the police. And mm. he, afterwards, he thinks that he's like this wanted fugitive for starting this riot. He's too naive to realize that 60s police in New York aren't going to blame a white guy for black violence. Mm. Like, even if he started it, like, no, they're just going to go after the blacks. And he, but he thinks, oh man, I'm a fugitive. Everybody's going to be, going to want my name's right. going to be all over the news and everything. It's like, no, they just killed all the black people. So I guess that's hmm. some social commentary. But like I said, it's, it's mostly interesting just for the, I, I guess the achievement of having watched it. Um, right. I also did like, there's a character who comes in about halfway through named Winston, who is a lady. And I like the idea hmm. of a lady named Winston. I, I like that name. And hmm. the revelation that I had watching this movie um, now, because I think I saw it once like 25 years ago and didn't remember a lot of it. But right. in the early part of the movie, Fritz is trying to get with and succeeding because it's the 60s, uh, mm -hmm. trying to get with these three girls. And apparently Winston is one of them. She just looks so different when she shows up later that I didn't realize it was the same dog. Because hmm. he calls her Winston early on. And I was, I was kind of shocked. and like, wait a minute, that's Winston? Um, so that was what I got out of this watch. Yeah, I'm looking at Winston now here. <laughs> the feet, man. Oh, yeah. Well, which version of Winston? Is she in a yellow dress or a green overcoat? I'm looking at uh, green overcoat, uh, purple turtleneck. Yeah, okay. So that's the later movie Winston. Uh in the early part of the movie, she's just wearing this yellow dress and she doesn't have the glasses. She looks younger. She doesn't look squinty and like mean. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Winston, because because she shows up early on and she's like, oh, they're in love and she knows Fritz and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this character came out of nowhere. Nah, it turns out they met earlier. That's why she knows him and that's why she thinks that she's in <laughs> love with him. Like you said, they screwed earlier. That's how they know each other. Exactly. You are yeah. you are exactly correct. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, that's what I did. How about we move All right, on? Cool, cool. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, let's God. move on oh. to the most excellent adventure. Oh man. <laughs> okay, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. This cartoon produced by David Kirshner and Paul Sabella in 1990. So first off, I'll give you the basics, you young kids, about what Bill and Ted's was. <laughs> uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was a 1989 movie about two teenagers from the Californian town of San Dimas who love rock and heavy metal, and they aspire to have a band called Wild Stallions, spelled with two, two Ys. Mm. Um, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan appear to be a couple of losers who are no good at school and, for that matter, no good at music. Um, but strangely, they are destined to create music that will shape a utopian future. That is, if they can pass their high school history presentation. <laughs> if they yeah. hear well, you, you see if they fit. hearing you describe the plot is makes it sound so trite. Like, hey, you're right. Well, it is kind of. It is, yeah. It is. But yeah, yeah. But there's a reason. Yep. See, if if they fail, Ted will be sent to military school, and Wild Stallions will never form. And somehow this makes sense that Rufus, an agent from the future, takes a time machine to the past 
so that they can retrieve figures from history in order to ace their history presentation. And it works. I don't know how they got that future in the first place if they have to go back in any way. Um, by the way, the time travel vehicle looks like a phone booth. Yeah. You see, that was this little little enclosed area where you make phone calls. Yeah. You, um, know, you know Doctor Who? It's kind of like that, except it's not bigger yeah. on the inside. Yes, definitely not. Although it does have a horse in it one time. <laughs> um, twice, actually. Ted, Ted looks quite a lot like a young Keanu Reeves. And Rufus looks a bunch like George Carlin. Hmm. And for what, anyway, it's, for what it's worth, Bill looks like Alex Winters. Yes. <laughs> um, there are some other characters you ought to know for this episode. Uh, Ted's father is a police officer. And Ted has a younger brother, Deacon. Uh, Bill and Ted's girlfriends are Joanna and Elizabeth, two princesses they met and wooed during a medieval time jaunt. Yeah. All right, so the, this cartoon, um, did I mention what it was? It's it's um, uh, a, it's it's a black knight in San Dimas. Yeah. Uh, so Bill and Ted practice music in their garage, and they're no good, of course, yeah. but they're plenty loud. They exposit that they're going to play at the school dance tomorrow and that they're going to be accompanied by the princess babes on vocals. And actually, exposition, exposition like this is pretty in character for these guys. Yeah. Um, anyway, their practice makes them late for school. They try to sneak into class, but they end up accidentally sneaking into a girl's health class. The harsh teacher, Ms. Spleen, reads them the riot act, and she threatens that they need to shape up and turn in their homework to our math class, or she'll see that they're expelled. And worse yet, they won't be able to play at the dance. Um, scene transition to Ted getting a frosty slush at the corner store in a simulated silver cup. And the expulsion of slush from the nozzle makes Slimer's sound effect from real Ghostbusters. Boy, it sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... The, the the two boys take off in their time booth to retrieve the princesses, but I guess they dialed the wrong number while Ted spilled his Frosty because they end up in Palestine. Uh, though At the correct time, um, their booth slides down a dune into the war tent of Saladin, the Sultan of Egypt and a unified Muslim kingdom pitted against crusading Europeans. His quite Frank Welker-like voice... <laughs> Uh, reveals that the Crusades are apparently about possessing a silver chalice. I never knew this. Mm. Um, he mistakes Bill's frosty cup for that very chalice. But at that very moment, England's Black Knight rides into the tent and steals the cup. Uh, an angry sultan tries to have his soldiers take it out on the San Dimas boys. Yeah, that's not but fair. <laughs> no, it's not fair at all. Um, uh, but they while running away from those scimitar-wielding maniacs, run through all the tent poles like a demolition derby <laughs> and make an escape through uh, in their time booth before the tent collapses. Mm. Uh, this time, they get to England. It's not that much later in time, since the Black Knight makes it to the castle just before them. In order to claim his prize for retrieving the Silver Chalice, he gets to marry one of the princess babes. Now here... The king sure sounds like Michael Bell or Handy Smurf. Yeah, I was I I spent a lot of time trying to think of where I knew that voice from. 
I'm pretty sure it's him. I was looking for other Michael Bell voices. Yeah, yeah that's him. Yeah, yeah. I'm not totally sure about the princesses, but I have tracked down uh, a site that says they're, they're both Kath Susie. They really hamming it up with the ye old English. Oh, I hated that. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like the comb gnomes from uh, <laughs> Lady Lovely Locks. Oh boy. Um, and the Black Knight, I think, might be Jeffrey Tambor. Hmm. I think. Anyway, uh, Bill and Ted get into the castle uh, when they're mistaken for jesters. Their inept juggling bombards the Black Knight with food and a series of very familiar Hanna-Barbera splat and thud effects. Uh, the Angry Knight uncovers the boys' disguises, but they manage to run away, first pinwheeling their feet to the Hanna-Barbera sound effect of running in place. <laughs> Yeah, this cartoon is just like a million familiar voices and sound effects. Yeah. Um, so the boys scale into the chamber in which Elizabeth and Joanna are moping. But then the Black Knight bursts in, but luckily he conceals the teens when the door flattens them to the wall. He decides which to marry based on a coin flip. Uh, the coin is stupidly handed over by Ted from around the door, but the knight doesn't notice them. Uh, the coin picks Joanna, but when it comes to the wedding... Rufus helps out by posing, posing rather, as the bride behind a veil. <laughs> and he, Bill, Ted, and the princesses escape in the booth. I don't know that I saw Rufus escape in the phone booth. Did oh, maybe he doesn't. He just takes his other phone booth that he has stashed, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, the phone booth is like the TARDIS. He's like the doctor, I think. Anyway, um, so not, he might not have gone in the phone booth, but... The Black Knight jumps into the portal before it can close, and he rides the time stream with them. Uh, luckily, though, he falls down a chimney at Ted's house and is knocked out cold, and they set him up in Ted's bed and play a vinyl record of Lawrence Welk in order to keep him soothed and asleep. <laughs> and it works. <sighs> Just in case, the dudes buy off Ted's brother Deacon so that he'll watch over the night while they go to school. Didn't Deacon have school? Anyway. Hmm. Um, the record eventually runs out, and Deacon tows the princesses away in a wagon attached to his bike, with their suitor chasing on horseback. Uh, at school, the boys worry when there's no answer from the phone at Ted's home, so they hurry off during their lunch break to check it out, and they find the knight in a confrontation against Ted's dad, Detective Logan, in his police car. The two realize that they must go to history to get someone to fight their battle. They go back to 1881 to get lawmen Wyatt Earp from Tombstone, Arizona. <laughs> and they happen, they happen to prevent a silly-looking Jesse James from robbing a stagecoach. So Wyatt Earp wants to thank them, but he's got a date with Calamity Jane. Oh, boy. Um, he does, however, deputize the two. So when they return to the present... Uh, Ted and Bill are in cowboy hats and chaps like two tough hombres. Ted lassos the knight, but stupidly forgets to control the rope. So he gets away, and just then, Detective Logan finds the boys and drives them back to school. <laughs> so through all this gallivanting, neither has done their homework. But rather generously, Mrs. Spleen, or Miss Spleen rather, uh, gives them a last chance to avoid expulsion by solving a chalkboard... Uh, spanning math problem. It runs like over four chalkboards. <laughs> um, 
And since the last problem Ted ever got right was 2 plus 2, they try 4 as an answer. And it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And so it's a very Bill and Ted kind of thing to happen, actually. I guess. Um, and so Wild Stallions plays at the dance, but the Black Knight shows up to capture Joanna. When Ted's guitar hits the floor, the sound from the speaker stuns and dismounts the Black Knight. Ms. Spleen lifts his visor, and it's love at sight for both of them. Uh, Rufus is there to escort the two back to uh, 1192, and all is right back then and in the present. Except Bill, Ted, Elizabeth, and Joanna still suck at music. Yeah. So I guess Ms. Spleen going back to finish the rest of her life in medieval England doesn't appreciably change the timeline. Yeah, she's probably just a nobody. Or she yeah. or she dies from some plague that her immune system isn't ready for. No, or or brings one there. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More likely, I think. Um maybe she was always meant to go there. Mm. Which is why Rufus was always in the right place at the right time. Yeah. It was just like making sure they did their history presentation, you know. Like if if you if you think about the movie, one thing that I do like about it is that it doesn't do the alternate timeline thing where it's not like, oh, by doing this no. you'll change the past. It's like everything is supposed to happen. And they exploit this by um you know, they have to like get into a jail or whatever and they exploit and, this by, yeah. you know, oh, we'll just go back and leave the key for us and then they find the key. Like they've after they've solved all the problems, then they go back in time and make the preparations that allowed them to solve the problems. So it's all one timeline. Everything that happens is supposed to happen. But yeah, I, or they're too dense to appreciate the meaning of anything anyway. So yeah. <laughs> things things are predetermined by their own density. Yeah. Yeah. So this cartoon, I think good designs for Bill and Ted. Yeah. I like their translation. Yeah. Okay. I, I will. I remember I, I always kind of. I liked, I liked Ted's long shorts, quite a <laughs> bit. Um, now back then, I I did like the series. Um, I always thought the movie was pretty mid, because it wasn't uproaring, laugh out loud, funny. Hmm. But I kind of gained, I've gained an appreciation over time. I think that's okay. That it's it's fine that Bill and Ted's is mostly like. Uh, quirk and smirk, you know, like, mm, yeah, that's clever. Mm, yeah, that's a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, the TV show is kind of the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is one of those TV shows where they they had like one. There have been a total of three Bill and Ted movies, although one of them just yes. came out a couple of years ago. Right. Um, and the other one hadn't come out yet. So this is one of those shows that's based on a, a movie, but they only had one movie to work with. So they mm. just had to do everything that the movie did over and over again. Like they solve a lot of school assignments <laughs> through their time travel. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about things like the um, the Ace Ventura cartoon where he has to say all the things that Ace Ventura said once in that movie. That was a big, right. A big. And it's like, you know, he said it once. So it must be his catchphrase and he has to say it in every cartoon. Like, and it's, it's this, like, you know, they have to stop and do the <laughs> pose and all this stuff. Um, admittedly, they do that in all, all the movies though. So. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, by the way, just um, as an aside, did you watch the third one? I have. Yeah. Oh, I haven't. Is it good? It's, 
it's all right. It does change quite a lot of, uh, it retcons the ending of the second movie a little bit. <laughs> really? Huh. Okay. Well, or quite a lot, depending on how you feel about it. But uh, <laughs> all right, it's not what I would have done, but I think it's fine. Okay. Fair it's enough. enjoyable. Fair enough. Um, now, in when I was before watching this cartoon, it's been a long time since I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. Yeah. Um, I was thinking Bill and Ted is ripe for a TV series like this. Yeah. Um, and even more so when you add in Bogus Journey, which introduces um, heaven, hell, uh, the Grim Reaper, robots, aliens. Yeah. It's like everything's on the table. Yeah. So what I was thinking is like, yeah, you could just do everything. Um, you could have them like um, uh, explore the occult. Um, they could... <laughs> I was I even thinking like, you could keep it with like a uh, educational sort of bent. Not that the original movie is that educational, but a <laughs> little bit, little nuggets, right? Mm. So you could do things like where they shrink down and go inside someone's body. And I was thinking, this is like the magic school bus, essentially, with these two dummies. These two idiots. Yeah, yeah. I got to stop saying dummies, but anyway, idiots. Um, that's probably bad, too, for some reason. Anyway, so they, they, I thought, that's a great idea. But you know what? Do you know the second season of this show? Not well. I think the original voice actors went away. Yes, that's one thing about this show is that uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters and George Carlin do do their their voices in this first season. Yeah. Um, so the second season uh, left CBS and went to Fox. And this this first season is done by Hanna-Barbera. The second one's done by Deke. I so there are some changes. Okay, yeah. Um, I remembered this show being made by Deke. And I was like, boy, why is there so much Hanna-Barbera in this? Yes, yes. Um, so one of the things they changed about the premise is they did expand it. They made it so they got um, a new system for the phone booth that allowed them to go into um, into like media, like huh. into stories and television programs or CDs. Hmm. Um, and believe it or not, once into the human body. All right. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, it's like, well, I, I guess I either it was a latent memory or this is just the natural progression of where this should go. Although most people regard this as a terrible Bill and Ted season. Hmm. So um, they really feel that it uh, lost its spirit. Yeah. And I could see that. I could see that. And by the way, again, my irony thinking like, you know, Bill and Ted would make a pretty good TV show. Apparently there was a live action TV sh show as well that ran concurrent to this cartoon and had the same title. Huh. I've, I don't remember seeing it at all. I, but I don't remember it at all either, but like, I'm thinking about a live action, like, you know, weekday evening primetime series or, or like, you know, third string after school show. And I'm just, or, or even like a Saturday morning live action show. And I'm mm -hmm. picturing like a title screen and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of, Maybe I'm just thinking about every other show along those lines. Like, what was that superhero one? My Secret Identity. Like, right. thinking about, like, that level of a show. And maybe I'm just thinking... Oh, yes. Maybe I'm just thinking, like, yeah, I can imagine a Bill and Ted thing like that. Well, I was watching a video on it, showed some clips from it, and had one instance of the character being slid over a table and run into, <laughs> run into food after food. Oh, you okay, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine the kind of show. Um <laughs> 
funny enough, though, you said that the the stars, the, you know, Keanu Reeves and George Carlin and Alex Winter stopped doing it for the second season. The ones from the TV show did the cartoon. Ah, the season, so. okay. So they kept it consistent in a way. Boy, um, the, the canon of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures is weirdly convoluted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three movies, two se- two disparate seasons of a cartoon and a live action show. And a video game. Maybe it's worth checking out some of this media. I don't know. Like, I kind of in the same way that I felt that uh, Indiana Jones actually works best as a Marvel comic. Hmm. Maybe Bill and Ted's works best as an episodic thing. Yeah. I mean, probably not that TV show, like you said. It's probably kind of crummy, but yeah. uh, maybe a comic book would be pretty good for it. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, um, per- this cartoon, though, you know, I had an okay time. I really, you're setting me up to think, say that this is kind of crummy, but I mean, it's not fantastic, but I thought it was pretty good. And amongst movie uh, spinoff cartoons, you know, I think it's way better than Back to the Future. <laughs> I... <sighs> I felt really bad about it because I was watching it and I was thinking like, man, I gave him Ned's newt and then I followed it up with this, which which <laughs> yes. might be almost as bad because I no, really no, 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 no. Cause I really didn't like it very much. I thought oh. I thought the animation was kind of iffy, but mostly that like male equivalent of the Valley Girl, like which is pretty much only yeah. Bill and Ted and Michelangelo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is so grating that I just can't stand it. I, hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just giving that like the way that the, the dialogue of those two characters combined with the over dumb medieval English accent that everybody had. Um, yeah, I don't think they do that in the movie. Yeah. I think maybe like the vocal quirks of it were just grating on me so much that it made my whole opinion of the show go down. Um, it was a whole bunch of Ned's newts for you, huh? But me, yeah, yeah. But maybe that was it. Maybe I'm just unfair because like, you know, this, the soundtrack, if you will, of what I was watching was just so obnoxious, mm. but eh, I don't know. I don't know that I'm wanting, <laughs> want to power through, 26 episodes of this <laughs> no, or whatever no, there yeah, is. Yeah, no. But uh, no, I had an okay time. Well, good. It was, it was nostalgic for me. Well, I'm, gl- I, I'm I glad. I'm glad. all the gaps in my memories. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that my guilt is not entirely founded. That is like. <laughs> well, yeah. I. Now, I think I'm quite surprised that you put Speed Racer above this. <laughs> well, I guess. So I think. We better uncover what uh, I I guess what the logic is. I guess maybe to some extent I knew what Speed Racer was going to be. Okay. Um, so Speed Racer is a anime. When did this come out? Like 60s, 70s? 1967. Yeah, OK. Um, and it's basically about this kid who's a race car driver and he's got this cool, cool car, which is like the best car in the world that his dad made. Um, mm. And <laughs> hmm? were you going to say? No, it's, just, it's funny. This is funny. The best car in the world, and my dad made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of it. Like, I, I guess there's other characters. Like, you know, there's some little guy. What's his name? Spritel or girl, maybe? Spritel. Spritel. Spritel and his uh, his best friend, a chimpanzee named Chim Chim. Yeah, and they hide in the trunk. There's a girl named Trixie. There's some mechanics. I think one of them is named Sparky. Um, yeah. There might be some recurring villains, but I don't know that they have a role in this. 
Uh, no, like, I think most of the episodes are kind of James Bondy, sort of. Yeah. You know, except uh, James Bond mixed with car racing. Yeah, okay. Uh, so anyway, this episode is called The Car Hater. And so I started to take notes on this, but there was so much going on that I was filling the page really fast. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to go by my memory as best I could, but also just kind of watch the cartoon on mute at double speed here and describe <laughs> it in real time. I think you're describing a regular feature to this podcast now. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um. Anyway, so... It starts, is this a common thing where it starts with him describing every ability that his car has? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's like a repeated segment. Okay. Just to catch you up on all his cool gadgets, but he doesn't use most of them in this episode. Yeah, no, he has some, I was kind of waiting for it as like a Chekhov's guns. Like, okay, is he going to use each and every one of these over the course of this episode? But he doesn't. Mm. No, because what's happening here is that uh, his lady Trixie is driving the car. They, uh, <laughs> I guess they're um, not too concerned with civilians, untrained civilians driving high tech race cars in this world. Yeah. Uh, Just taking a. Well, I don't know. Maybe he is because he's wearing his racing helmet for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And he's also directing her on how to drive safely, like stay in the speed limit and that kind of thing. That's right. Don't drive 160 kilometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they are accosted by a car full of hoods. Eh, kids. Yeah. And, you know, they they ram them around and stuff. Uh, also, Spritel and Chim Chim are there. But then when they almost crash and the other racers get out to start a fight, they suddenly recognize Speed Racer and the Mach 5. And it turns out they're big fans. So mm. Speed Racer being... You know, the ultimate good guy immediately makes friends with them and takes them out for drinks. I'm sure these were alcoholic drinks in Japan, but I think they're just water. I think they're just water in North America. No, nah, maybe not. Maybe not. Speed's a kid, so I don't know. Oh, that's true. He wouldn't drink and drive. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's an excellent point, actually. Hmm. So anyway, while they're in this water bar, uh, hmm. they are accosted by more thugs. Are these recurring thugs? Don't think so. I think they're... Well, I don't know. They probably reused the designs at some point, but I don't think they're meant to be. Yeah. Anyway, there's they are like former race car drivers and they start a fight. Mm. Speed is um, he's enamored with uh, giving these uh, kids racing tips. And Trixie, feeling jilted, goes outside where she finds that uh, Spritel and Chim Chim are showing off the cool, cool features of the Mach 5. Did I mention that the car is called the Mach 5? The mock go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's showing it off to some random lady. This is Janine, and she likes cars. And so Trixie, <laughs> with uh, no respect for... What is Trixie's relationship to Speed? Is she like a girlfriend? Oh, boy. Wouldn't she like to know? <laughs> okay. But... Yeah, she, she wants to be his girlfriend, but, you know... Never conceal the deal with that. Okay. With that uh, speed. Yeah. So the important thing is that she's not like a sister who also has claim to this car. No, no. She's just a, just a fellow adventurous and racing fanatic. Okay. Well, she feels that she has the right to offer a ride to Janine. In fact, (laughs) to let Janine drive it. Yeah. Be careful. 
Hmm? Don't press the weapons. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, Janine is really excited about the opportunity to drive this because her dad hates cars. Hmm. And, uh, hey, for the second time in this episode, somebody on horseback shows up. It's just uh, it's some guy. This is Mr. Trotter or Papa Trotter. And he hates cars like a lot. Like he thinks cars <laughs> yeah. are death machines, man. He he even goes so far as to start whipping the Mach 5 in an effort to destroy it. Yes, he thinks he's in a Street Fighter bonus stage. <laughs> I mean, even the Street Fighters didn't have whips. Yeah. Um, but also, he's pretty abusive to his daughter. Like, he elbows her in the yeah. face, and he's going to whip her, and Speed is the one who has to step in and be like, hey, don't hit your daughter again. Hmm. Um, I guess the day is saved, but boy, this guy hates cars. He explains, <laughs> he explains, you see... That uh, he had a son who was lost in a car crash, and he just thinks that cars are just weapons on wheels. And at this point, I'm going, oh, right. This is not my first exposure to Speed Racer on this podcast. Right. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, later, the, I guess, pit crew or whoever are uh, fixing up the Mach 5 to the extent that it needs fixing up, though they do notice that its injuries are inconsistent with hitting another vehicle. Um, but during all the good times, Speed's dad does say, well, you know, the newspaper does say that accidents are on the rise, which transitions to Mr. Trotter. <laughs> also reading in the newspaper that tra uh, transitions, accidents are on, yeah, transitions are on the rise. <laughs> Uh, well, this cartoon, yeah, like yeah, yeah. this particular kind of transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he notices that ac uh, accidents are on the rise, and he is annoyed with it. Janine says she'll be right back. And by right back, she means she goes to the racetrack. Uh, mm. Mr. Trotter figures this out by reading about this new racetrack that's opening. Ah, oh, the town that Speed Racer lives in finally got a racetrack. Well, that's convenient. Hmm. Now, Mr. Trotter is thinking he's got to do something about this because he sure does hate <laughs> those cars. Woo! Mm. At the racetrack, very few spectators are watching a race that Speed Racer is in. He pulls over for a very long pit stop. I know, I don't know a lot about auto racing, but I know enough to know that a lot of stuff that goes on in here would be completely unacceptable. Like... I don't know if they're racing. I wonder if they're just kind of like... Oh, is an exhibition of the new the, track? Going through, yeah, going through their paces on the new track, I yeah. think. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, Janine is there and Mr. Trotter shows up. I guess he's going to show these cars what for. <laughs> he tries whipping Janine and he tries whipping speed and he tries whipping all the other cars, too. And his presence on the track actually causes a whole bunch of crashes. I guess. <laughs> yes. I guess he figures this is justification. Like, see, cars aren't safe. But, well... He's a wonderful maniac. He... Yes. Boy, yeah. <laughs> it, it causes chaos. All the cars crash because they're trying to avoid hitting this man and his horse. Mm-hmm. Um, but Janine decides that she is just not going to go back with him. Also, those thugs from earlier show up. And they decide that they are going to help out Mr. Trotter. They view Mr. Trotter as a sucker, although the rest of the episode doesn't bear that out. Uh, Mr. Trotter causes more chaos in town, a bunch of cars just driving in every direction. Like, if you look at this shot, 
where he's in the middle of this intersection, it's like, it's not just four ways. There's cars like in every direction, all <laughs> pointed at him. Like what was going to yeah. happen if it weren't for this horse, which then <laughs> rides away on top of the roofs of the cars. Yes. I just love this episode. There's man. a lot of funny stuff here. One that I forgot to mention <laughs> earlier was when, um, in the early part where those kids were driving at him, speed avoids yeah. them by activating the jacks to jump over them. And then it like freezes in midair for several seconds. Um, before well, the money shot. Yeah, yeah. He did the thing. He activated the, the auto jacks. Yeah. Boy, his explanation for those jacks is so they can lift it up and Sparky can fix it. And I'm like, is installing jacks in a car really more efficient than just using a jack? Well, let's not get into what's efficient for a race car in this show. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> there, <laughs> there have been enemies that have an endless supply of barrels chucked out of the back <laughs> of their cars like Donkey Kong. Yeah, I was going to say, is this the Donkey Kong car? Anyway. Pretty much. Anyway. So the thugs, they meet up with uh, Mr. Trotter and he figures he is, well, he hires them to basically sabotage cars. And this is when he gets the phone call from Janine that says she is not coming back until he, I guess, makes peace with cars. Hmm. But fortunately, she can stay with Speed and Trixie. Uh, meanwhile, somewhere, uh, the thugs start <laughs> rigging cars to crash, which I guess is sabotaging them in basic in various ways. And boy, they are busy that night because. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like the next day, all kinds of cars have all kinds of problems all over the city. Their brakes don't work. Their steering doesn't work. Their speed doesn't work. Like, it's just, I have a hard time believing that three people can cause this much chaos with this many cars, but they do. And if anything, they're underpaid. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know, I guess maybe Japanese people in the 60s don't pay that well. I don't know. I don't know. They're handed a stack of money. They are, yeah, true. Just a bunch of bills. Yeah. Anyway. Speed and uh, Trixie and Janine see this and they're like, oh, man, this doesn't seem normal. But now the next job that the thugs have to deal with is they got to sabotage cars at uh, the Speed's dad's plant. Which is uh, not a great idea for them because they get caught. Yep. Um, yeah, Speed and Sparky and everybody show up and beat them up. Mm. And I got to pause again. Well, I wait for this interminable fight scene to end at double speed. Well, you say interminable, but I think the fight scenes in Speed Racer are pretty funny. <laughs> well, they are funny, but not for great reason. Well, you know. Um, well, you know, they're meant to be funny, too. I though. guess that's true. They, they draw them goofy. Anyway, um, one of the mean things here was that Mr. Trotter didn't want anybody to know that he was behind all this. Uh, but as soon as they're licked, the thugs all immediately confess that Mr. Trotter's behind all this. And mm. so Speed takes him back and makes him, orders him to confess. But at this point, Mr. Trotter wants to know where his daughter is. And Sparky, just out of nowhere, says, oh, she's driving in an experimental car with Trixie up in the mountains. And the mm. thugs are like, that's the car that we rigged to crash. Oh, no. Well, Mr. Trotter swore that he was never going to drive in a car. And so, 
I guess that trumps welfare of his daughter because he takes his trusty horse and decides to go into the mountains and catch this experimental car. Well, Speed just takes his car. <laughs> uh, yep. Immediately, uh, Trixie and Janine discover that their car's brakes don't work, but they are fortunately able to steer around the treacherous curves until the steering stops working, too. Uh, mm. Speed takes a long time to catch up to this horse, but when he does, he's like, look, you're never going to catch this car with a horse. Get in my car and let's save your daughter. But Mr. Trotter is like, no, I, I made an oath. <laughs> so Speed's like, all right, fine. I'll just do it myself. And he drives off. He is too late, unfortunately, because all the brakes and steering and stuff does, in fact, cause this car to crash off of a cliff. One hell of a crash. Yeah, I'm surprised that the ladies are in as good condition as they are. I do have to say, it's easy to joke about the voice acting of this and all dubbed anime like this. But I actually quite liked the realism of the, like, terrified screams of the girls. Yeah, yeah. Like, they don't, they don't scream like, ah, or just scream like a, no, no. like, ah, they're like, ah, 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 like, they are, like, <laughs> legitimately terrified. I actually thought it was quite effective voice acting on their part, and I was surprised to see it in this. Surprised to hear that about Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, really, really, yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, Speed finds the wreckage and Trixie's okay, but Janine is unconscious. And again, this is where my certain knowledge of some things kicks in like first aid and mm -hmm. like just watching speed, just shake Janine and pick her up. was like, Oh, you're asking for her to break her neck, dude. You need to leave her. Don't touch her. Tell her not to move. Wait until paramedics arrive. This is not a safe way to handle this situation. But he is going to take uh, Janine to the hospital until Mr. Trotter shows up. And he's like, no, I'm going to take my daughter on a horse, which is way better. But the horse is exhausted and collapses. It might be dead. <laughs> and yeah, and okay. Speed is like, you know what, Mr. Trotter, you're a maniac. I am taking your goddamn daughter to the goddamn hospital in my goddamn car. Whoa. I may have been watching too many Ralph Bakshi movies. Yes. And uh, he does. Now, I guess we get a flash forward here because uh, Janine, at first I was like, oh, wow, Janine's actually in pretty good shape. And I assume this is the same time because uh, she's wearing the same outfit. Ah, but that's just thing a thing cartoons do. Because it turns out it's Probably. quite a bit later. Because uh, Mr. Trotter shows up. And he hasn't visited Janine in a long, long time because he's been in jail. He, you know, hmm? part of me says, good, that makes sense. But another part of me says, what was he in jail for, like three months? Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> for all this havoc he caused? Yeah. Um, Potential, like, threat of threat of death from some of these accidents. Yeah, boy, I, I don't know, like... I I choose to believe that a crash that horrific, Janine had a very long road of physical therapy. She had to relearn how to walk and come out wow. of her coma okay, yeah. and all this stuff. And but and it just so happens that um, <laughs> it's exactly the same time as Mr. Trotter's significant prison sentence. Yeah, Spridal went through junior high. Eh, you would think. Yeah. Anyway. 
I guess they're all friendly now because Speed Racer's dad, Mr. Racer, I guess. Um, Pops. Pops Racer. Yeah, Pops Racer. He, uh, as a present, he gives Mr. Trotter a car. And hmm. I'm thinking, one, that's quite an assumption that he's going to be okay with cars. And two, an even bigger assumption that he's going to have a driver's license. Like, or, or would even be allowed to have one. <laughs> that That's another good point. Like, I was thinking the whole time, like, this guy is has a vendetta against cars. If anybody's not going to have a driver's license, it's him. But you raise another good point that even if he did have one, he's not going to have one now. But then again, instead of the prison, they could have put him in a funny farm. Well, I'm thinking like you're you're right. But also I'm thinking like none of his offenses involved actual unsafe driving. It was making other people drive unsafe. So there's probably no restriction on him getting a driver's license. Maybe that was part of his, you know, maybe once he became a changed person, he like took correspondence courses from prison and got his license or whatever. Anyway, this episode isn't over. Uh, We also see that the thugs have also been forced to make good by one of them is controlling traffic and the other two are like helping people across the street. And there's humorous pratfalls as they carry old ladies and uh, fall (laughs) down and things like that. Hooray. So. So. uh, Truly absurd. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um. From my description, you might see why I had so much trouble taking notes, because, like, it seems like not a lot happens, but at the same time, a lot of stuff happens. Sure. It's, well, especially in the beginning. Yeah. They meet these bad kids, but then they meet these bad adults. Yeah, the, and then <laughs> the bad kids who turn out aren't all that bad and then are also aren't in the rest of the episode. And right. like things like that, like, yeah, this is kind of just the the prototypical anime that you make fun of for all the things that anime does that you make fun of, if that makes sense. It's like long shots of well, characters just going, oh, and uh, yeah, sure. the voice acting. There's a shot of, you know, as Speed is driving off with Janine at the end, it like zooms in real close on Mr. Trotter's face. And there's like a sparkle in his eye as he sheds a single tear pops, huh. has his eye closed in a like friendly wink more often than not. Um, hmm. things like that. It's just a lot of stuff to make fun of in here. And on that note, I remembered what you said earlier, and I went back and rewatched Mach 5, that episode of, right. um, uh, what, I want to say Dee Dee, but it's not her laboratory. Dexter's. Dexter, that's Dexter's his lab. Yeah, his lab. And I rewatched, because yeah. I remember you saying at the time that you wished I had seen Speed Racer so I could fully grasp how funny this parody of it was. And so I figured, well, now that I've seen this episode, let me go back and watch that. And I think I already understood how funny the parody was, because like it's just the 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 things that it was poking fun of are so ubiquitous when talking about bad anime that you just you already know. Um, Yeah, but I did appreciate, you know, the title screen with the red and yellow checkers and the the sound well even weird things like you know the volcano erupting and then the freeze frame on that background oh true yep um yeah yeah the dad um um, the dad's outfit um sure the dad's backstory of having lost a a daughter in a big race yeah 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 um 
this isn't really a prototypical like when when the the um when the theme was troublemakers what i thought as i could find a really good spritel and chim chim episode yeah. But unfortunately, most Speed Racer stories are multi-episode arcs. Ah. So, yeah. And looking, I, I basically was going through all the one-shots, and I thought, you know, this one's too absurd to pass up. It, and it's yeah. you know, absolutely foul with troublemakers. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I'm trying to think of what this reminds me of. I'm, there's some live-action thing, like a sketch on some show or something, where somebody had a really irrational fear or... Uh, hatred of something and it's driving me nuts trying to think of what it was but yeah this mm. this guy who is just so like i joked when you gave this to me like <laughs> oh the ultimate villain in the speed racer universe would be the car hater but he kind of is mm. like yeah. to hate cars so much that he hits them with his whip <laughs> like yes <laughs> like, and he rides his horse in the city yeah, yeah, yeah like it is absurd and i appreciate that like i think by the way, hmm? were you thinking of one of my favorite Silent Live sketches of all time with the uh, professor who's afraid of his biology skeleton? No, it was somebody who's like yeah, walking around. So going, oh, I. Oh. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. This is really boy. This is really specific. Okay. In the Tiny Toon Adventures special, How I Met My Summer Vacation. <laughs> How I Met? How I, how I spent, how yeah, I spent yeah, yes, my okay. summer vacation. One of the segments of that is Foulmouth taking Fifi Le Fume on a date to a movie. And the movie is Skunknophobia about a guy who's afraid of skunks. And the oh. shots of that movie are him like, like creeping around, like terrified that there's going to be a skunk around every corner. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, opens up yeah. a trash can and there's a skunk inside. It's like, oh, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> This guy was like, oh, these cars, there's cars everywhere. They're so dangerous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. You know, I, thought of, I thought of another sketch comedy like yeah. that <laughs> this time. You know, I think it was in Living Color. Yeah. And the movie was Eddie Pryor is uh, uh, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is afraid of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was like him pouring cereal and then adding the milk to it and going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, this, this is absurd. Yeah. Um, it's not yeah. exactly good, but it was bad in all the ways that I was already expecting. And so in right. that respect, I, I kind of had some fun watching it just as, I guess I kind of watched it as a parody rather than, it's yes. like, it's more like, yeah, this is confirming all the parodies that I've seen. Okay. My siblings, this was like the cartoon for them. <laughs> so what a poor era that was. Eh? <laughs> um, great. Uh, by the way, you mentioned the, the voice acting there. Yeah. This is one of those. One of those special things where there's like four voice actors total. I think there might be even. You know, I kind of like yeah. that. Hmm? I think it might even I be three. I kind of like that. It's the three listed in the credits, but the voice director does uh, Speed and Racer X. So, mm -hmm. yeah. okay. Um, I sort of like it. It's sort of like having an authorship of the voice part of the show. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I have a fondness for stuff like that. Uh, Corin Orr does. All the children and all the women in the show. Yeah. Um, so she's Spritel, Trixie, Ginny. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And she's a multi, uh, multiple appearances on this podcast. She was Kathy in Animal Treasure Island <laughs> and Anna in 12 Months. So. 12 Months. 
the one about the uh, Russian girl who goes into the forest to get galanthus flowers. Oh, right. Yes, 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 of the yes, yeah. Of the, of the yeah, months, the yeah. seasons. The, yeah, okay, I remember that now. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting so old into this podcast that I'm starting to forget episodes we did. Heh. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess let's push out some more of those old memories with some stuff to come. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, every time I watch a new cartoon, my memory of an old one goes away. Well, um, we're going to do shorts. Yeah. And, you know, while you're... While you're impaired, I think first off you got to take a quiz here. Uh-oh. So, Hobo Bobo. What? Hobo Bobo. Is that A, chewing gum? B, a double dragon villain? <laughs> C, one of Mojo Jojo's clones? Mm. Or D, a Looney Tune directed by Robert McKimson? Hmm. Well, I'm probably going to say D. Um and it makes me wonder if this is the name of the cartoon or the character that's in it. But I... Well, it's kind of both. Yeah, okay. Hobo Bobo. Hobo that's Bobo. the first cartoon. All right, that sounds interesting. I have no idea what that could be. Yeah, okay. But Robert McKimson... Uh, this... This, see, this is what I was talking about earlier where I'm getting to know the directors. Like, Robert McKimson... Because yes. my first thought was, oh, is this one of those black and white racist ones? But I'm thinking, no, Robert McKimson wouldn't do that. This is going to be mediocre. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you did Foghorn okay. Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn's good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, second cartoon. Yeah. I would like you to watch a Popeye. Oh. An old one called Ooh. Can You Take It? Sucker! <laughs> That's a wrestling thing. Um, okay, interesting. Hobo Bobo, which is pretty cool. And uh, Can You Take It? Hopefully I can. For you... Yeah. As I mentioned, I was feeling guilty about Ned's Newt and Bill and Ted. And then we and then you also had to review Captain and the Game Master in between them. So I'm like, man, Micah <laughs> needs some good stuff. So let's give Micah something he's really going to enjoy. Something he's really going to sink his teeth into. All right. First, we got a silly symphony, oh. which is a Walt Disney thing. Yeah. And uh, hey, have you heard of this one? It's called The Three Little Pigs. Okay. Uh, and follow that up with a Merry Melodies, mm. which is called Pigs in a Polka. <laughs> ah, all right. Three little pigs, pigs in a polka. Sounds good. Hobo, Bobo, can you take <laughs> it? All right. And I feel kind of bad that Bobo is not a pig. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> which implies that there is a pig in the Popeye one. No, no. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> all that is coming next week, and that'll be fun. But before then, all you stalkers out there, uh, give us some things to talk about. Uh, we'd also like to watch things that you suggest for us. Yeah. I am at DrabSwatch on that terrible, terrible platform Twitter. Yeah. Never click on any of the trending topics in Twitter. Quitter. Yeah, maybe that's what you should. Yeah, never. Freudian slip. Never, tri never click the trending topics on Twitter because it doesn't matter how innocuous it looks, it's going to lead to some right wing garbage. Oh my God. I've seen like ads with Elon Musk's face. Dude. More than a few times. Dude, earlier today, I saw that Butts was trending in Canada. Ooh. And I was like, uh huh. Yeah, it turns out that there's some politician named Butts and a bunch of, like, 
right-wing anti-vaxxers were jumping on him. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm not clicking on those anymore. But you can click on this podcast at <laughs> AC Matsy and this link and click the Celery Stalker slogan. All cars are weapons on wheels. I hate them. They should be destroyed, every one of them. <laughs>